Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Last week, we prayed together through our disappointment and discouragement and to trust for God's plan. This week's episode in our series, Praying Together Through, we'll explore together seeking God's direction for our church and our individual lives. This requires a prayerful heart of worship and submission to His glory, will, and power. The message is titled, Direction. Here's Associate Care Pastor, Josh Masters. Good morning, Brookwood. It is important in times of trial and tragedy to remember who God is and to continually sing His praises knowing who He is and that we will see His goodness. So before we begin today and we go back to our series on becoming a praying church, we want to take some time to pray. Uh, Some people have asked either online or in person about what happened on Thursday here, and so I thought it was important to just take a moment to acknowledge that and have a moment of prayer. For those of you who had not heard, there was a school shooting at Tanglewood Middle School uh, on Thursday early afternoon, and because Brookwood Church is an emergency evacuation site and a reunification site for Greenville Schools, Um, the students were all bused here to Brookwood Church into this room and put in this room so that the unification team could, um, as quickly as possible and as safely as possible, reunite the students with their parents after the incident. And I know that when tragedies like this happen, especially in a school, it stirs up emotion and debate and opinions But what we need to know is that the way the church needs to respond in tragedy is first in prayer. Prayer for all those who are hurting, all those who are struggling, all those who have been harmed. And then the church mobilizes with compassion and prayer and care for those who are suffering. And that's what we got to be part of here on Thursday. And many of you, a number of you reached out to me personally saying, do you need bodies? Do you need hands? What, we, what can we do? And you showed your heart in that. This church showed their heart. But we, of course, because we were in lockdown, no one could come in except for those of us who were here. But we saw incredible movement by our staff and our pastors who laid down everything and came into this room to love and serve and take care of the 700 some odd students that were here and the staff and the faculty uh, and the first responders, the local law enforcement, the reunification team so that they could concentrate on getting kids home to their parents. So, yeah, okay. But our work continues, our work continues because we as a body need to be in prayer because the incident is still going on. We need to be in prayer for the family of the young man who lost his life. We need to be in prayer for the family of the young man who is in custody because more than one family has been destroyed. And we need to be in prayer for the Tanglewood community and the school community, the teachers and the staff and the resource officer and especially the students. So we must continually throughout this week be in prayer for them. So will you join me in praying for them right now? Father God, we thank you, even in dark days, that you are a God of hope when things seem hopeless. You are a God 
of restoration where it seems like nothing can be redeemed. And you are a God of salvation. And your salvation and your eternity never ends. So as we praise you for who you are, we ask that you would bring your comfort and your strength and that you would draw close to those who are hurting, all the families who have been affected, the staff and the students who have been affected. Lord, I pray that you would draw close to them because your word says that you draw close to the brokenhearted and you heal the crushed in spirit. And however you want us to be part of that, make us aware of how we can serve and how we can love and how we can bring compassion. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that. We do continue our series today on what it means to become a praying church called Praying Together Through. And what have we been praying for? Revival. Revival. So in the first message, we set our goal, right? And our goal is to seek God in a movement of prayer so that we can see revival. And we prayed together that first week so that we could pray together through our division into unity. Unity with God, unity with one another. And then in the last, uh, last week or the second week, we discussed the tactics that Satan uses to try to break that unity in the church, right? And in that we prayed through our disappointment and our discouragement into a trust for God's plan. But even as we come into that place, even when we do trust God's plan, how do we know the direction he wants us to go? How do we know the steps that he wants us to take with him? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this week. The practical steps that we can take in prayer together to reveal God's direction for us, both individually and as a church. But when I say practical steps, that doesn't mean that these things are just checkboxes that you can check off, some sort of magical way to get God to reveal his plan for us. No, hearing God's direction requires us to evaluate our hearts as we approach Him together in prayer. Because just as we talked about last week, our natural tendency, our natural state is to be self-focused. And once we we become self-focused, we try to be self-sufficient. But when we fail at that, when we find out we cannot be self-sufficient, then we are filled with uncertainty and we're filled with fear. And uncertainty and fear prevents us from hearing God's voice. Even when He's speaking directly to us, that uncertainty, that fear will prevent us from hearing His voice. So this week, the church must pray together through uncertainty into confidence. The church must pray together through uncertainty into confidence. Not confidence in ourselves, of course, but confidence that God will move. Think of the words that we just sang in that song, Who You Are. We're going to put them up on the screen. I am confident I will see the goodness of my God. I will not forget who you are. 
Ponder that for just a moment. I'm confident I will see the goodness of my God. I will not forget who you are. In last week's passage, Moses had forgotten who God is. So he had no confidence God would act. Do we want to hear God's direction for us as a church? Four of you. Do, I'll try again. In the rafters too. Do we want to hear God's direction for us? There we go. Do we want to see God's miracles and revival through Brookwood Church? Then we have to actively and confidently seek God's direction for us. We have to ask for His guidance, and then once we ask for His guidance, we have to expect that He's going to answer. Expect to see His goodness. That song is based on, at least in part, on Psalm 27, 13. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness when? While I'm here in the land of the living. Not just in eternity, not just in heaven. I will see the goodness of my God. He will act. He will move here while I'm in the land of the living. But how do we clearly hear His direction and then break away from our uncertainty? That's what we're going to look at today in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So you can go ahead and turn or swipe there in your Bibles. If you're using the Bible available here at Brookwood, it's on page 369. 369. If you're using a different Bible, it's on a different page. That's as, that's as much as I can do for you. So in chapter 20, this is Jehoshaphat's prayer for direction. Jehoshaphat's prayer for guidance. Now, we don't have time to go into all the history, but Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah after Israel split. There was a period of time when the nation of Israel split into two nations. So Jehoshaphat is the fourth king of Judah after that split. And God's people are about to be attacked by multiple armies. Not one army, not two armies, but they're about to be attacked by three separate armies that have merged together. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and Mount Seir armies are all marching toward Jerusalem. And when Jehoshaphat receives the word that this army is coming, by the time he finds out from a messenger, this enormous, giant, combined army is only 15 miles outside of Jerusalem. So their arrival is imminent. We pick up in verse 3, just the first couple words. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. Jehoshaphat was terrified. This army is far too large for Judah to fight. And Jehoshaphat has no idea what to do. Have you ever been in a situation where you just felt completely overwhelmed? How many people? Where every step seemed like it was the wrong step? It seemed like there was no way out of your situation? That's where King Jehoshaphat finds himself right now. But through his response to his fear, because he is afraid. He's terrified. 
But through his response to that fear, we're going to see how we together as a church can seek God's direction and see him do the impossible. So what was his approach? Back to verse 3. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judea came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. And that's where they began to pray together. The whole nation, the whole city began to pray together. So we seek God's direction in miracles by participating together in prayer and fasting. We seek God's direction and miracles by participating together in prayer and fasting. It says all the people of Judah came together from all the different towns to seek the Lord's help and guidance together. And that's exactly what we've been talking about in this series, isn't it? If we want to see God do the impossible, we have to pray together continually and in one voice, not, not just till the end of this series next week, but continuing, going forward. We have to pray together. But Jehoshaphat doesn't stop at calling his people to pray together, does he? What else does he call them to do? Fast. Thank you, Richard. And this is not like intermittent fasting so that you can lose weight. It's not a health tactic. This fasting is an intentional devotion to God, a time set aside to abstain from food so we can better hear God and better connect with Him. Now, a lot of Christians today, and don't feel bad if this is what you believe because most Christians feel this way, most Christians believe today that fasting is just for the super spiritual Christians, the ultra pious But that's not true. It's for all of us. When Jesus taught about prayer and fasting in Matthew chapter 6, he said, when you fast, do this. He didn't say, if you want to fast, do this. He didn't say, if you decide to fast, do this. He said, when you fast, here are the instructions. Jesus expected fasting to be a part of our regular relationship with Him and a regular part of the church. Every believer at every level from day one. That's because fasting is a form of worship that surrenders our desires and our bodies to God. It puts His glory above our comfort. It's a sacrifice of worship that removes the distractions of this world and allows us to hear His voice. If you're seeking God's direction in your life and if we're seeking God's direction in the church, when we fast, we will more clearly hear His voice. And if we're to see revival, we must dedicate ourselves to not only praying together but also fasting together. And I know that there's lots of questions about fasting. Why do we fast? How do we get started? What should it look like? How do I prepare for it? What questions should I ask my doctor? And if you have health concerns, you should talk to your doctor. 
And we can't go deeply as, as we need to, as deeply into those questions as we need to this week. If I could, I would give us a whole message on just this one topic. So I want to give you a resource. It's in your outline, printed in your outline. It's also, we're going to put it up on the screen for those of you watching in our online campus or watching later. I want to encourage all of us to go to brookwoodchurch.org slash fasting today, this afternoon. Go to brookwoodchurch.org slash fasting. That's where you'll find an article that I put together on what Christians should know about fasting. And you're also going to find there a three-part podcast series that the care pastors and I did a little while ago. And this page is going to walk you through everything you need to know to get started safely and with your focus on God. So who will commit to going to this site today? And who will commit to fasting one day this week or even one meal this week just to get started? Who will do it? If you want to do it with me, I'm going to do it tomorrow. But do it whenever, whenever works best for you. Scripture tells us that we shouldn't brag about our fasting, but there is value in fasting together in a group because that group can encourage you and share what they're hearing from God during the fast. So I also want to encourage our community groups to do this together. You can use the prayer guide and the discussion guide on the other side of your outline so that you can pray and fast together this week and in the coming weeks. Let's keep praying together like we've been doing over the last few weeks. And now let's step into fasting together because that's the first step in hearing God's direction for us. And in those prayers and during those times of fasting, what do we pray for? How do we, how do we sit with God as we're doing the fasting in the prayer? Well, here's number two. We seek God's direction in miracles by proclaiming God's glory and promises. We seek God's direction by proclaiming God's glory and His promises. We continue in our text. Verse 6, He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, You alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against You. Jehoshaphat opens his people in prayer by proclaiming God's glory. But remember what's practically going on here. That army is not very far away, is it? It's only a few miles outside of Jerusalem. But rather than launching into his immediate need for direction or his need for deliverance, he doesn't launch straight into that. Instead, he magnifies the name of God and he honors who God is. And in verse 7, he continues. O oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war or plague or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. So he not only proclaims God's glory, but he also proclaims God's promises. His promises for what he's already promised and his promises for what he has not yet done. 
Why? Why do you think? It's because God's faithfulness and his promise to an undeserving people, including us, are a testament to his love and his mercy and his power. (coughs) Celebrating God's promises even before they're fulfilled is a celebration of his character. And it shows that we trust his word. Every prayer that we utter, especially when we're in trouble or when we need guidance, every prayer that we utter should be more focused on who God is than the actual problem. And of course, there's a temptation to say, well, that seems weird. It seems weird for me to pray back to God who he is. God knows who he is. Of course he does. The question is, do you? Do you know who God is? Do you cling to his promises? Do you believe who he is? Praying God's greatness back to him not only honors God, but it helps us avoid becoming self-focused and falling into the traps and the temptations that we talked about last week. You know, before... Before God brought me to Brookwood Church, and there's lots of miraculous things I can tell you about that story, miraculous things about how he brought us here another time. But before he brought me here, I went through a very difficult period of preparation because I wasn't ready. And I was in the proverbial desert, and it was not pleasant, and I was not pleasant. I was pretty much in the same whiny, entitled place we saw Moses and the Israelites in last week's passage. I was miserable and I was nasty because I wasn't getting what I wanted. And it was super fun for my wife. (laughs) I didn't know why God wasn't coming through in my timing. I didn't know what he wanted me to do to make it happen. I just wanted to make it happen. So when he didn't do it, I said, I'll make it happen myself. Anybody else here? Am I by myself? So I pushed. And when I was tired of pushing, I complained. And when I finished complaining, I pushed some more. And then God let me know in a not-so-gentle correction. that he wasn't going to open the path to his promise for me until having the promise fulfilled was less important to me than he was because I'd made the promise an idol. Listen, God loves to fulfill his promises. He loves to fulfill his promises. But he will withhold his promise from you if the fulfillment of the promise is more important to you than he is. He will withhold what he's promised you if you want the outcome more than you want him. So in my self-focused ranting as God corrected me, I felt God leading me to what now I call a me fast because I needed to fast from me 
because I was the poison. And so what I felt God asking me to do was for 40 days to pray nothing for myself. So for 40 days, I didn't pray anything for myself. I only prayed back to God who he was and who he is, his attributes, his character, his great deeds, his promises. And at the end of the 40 days, I wasn't the same person. It completely changed my perspective. And a couple weeks later, I was called to Brookwood Church. Some of us need a me fast right now because we're so focused on what we want from God that we have forgotten who God is. And so together we pray and we fast together and we proclaim God's glory and his promises and we proclaim those things together. And then comes the hard part. We see God's direction and miracles by professing that we're powerless. Professing we're powerless. God will not do the impossible in your life. God will not do the impossible in this church so long as we think we can do it on our own power. Does revival come through church programs? No. Does it come through seminars? Does it come through great preaching? No. No. Those things help equip us for what God's going to ask us to do in the revival. They're all good things, but miracles only come when we stop believing that we can make any progress at all on our own. Jehoshaphat's prayer admits that he's powerless. Verse 10. And now, he prays to God, and now see what the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them, and they did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us? For they have come to throw us out of the land which you gave us as an inheritance. O our God, a plea, won't you stop them? We are powerless, circle the word powerless in your Bible. We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. So after proclaiming God's glory, now Jehoshaphat actually lays out the problem. But notice how he lays out the problem. Most of us, when we lay out a problem before God, we say, here's the problem. What do you want me to do? But he doesn't pray. He doesn't pray, how do I fix it? He says, I can't fix it. We are powerless. We're powerless without you, God. Now, here's what's interesting. What is Jehoshaphat's job? It's not a trick question. He's the king, right? He's the king of Judah. And he's yelling out to God in front of all of his people, all of his followers, and he's shouting out, I am powerless. We are powerless. Only you can help us, God. Now, a king doesn't usually show that much uncertainty in front of his people, does he? 
But Jehoshaphat has humbled himself. You know why? Exactly. <laughs> he humbles himself because his desire for God's intervention is more important to him than his pride. So the question for us is this, is your desire for God's intervention in your life and your desire for God's intervention in Brookwood Church greater than your pride? Are you willing to admit that you are powerless? In teaching on how to find and sit in the presence of God, Brother Lawrence in 1685 wrote this. He said, if we could really see how helpless we are without Him, we would never lose sight of Him, not even for a moment. If we could really see how helpless we are, we'd never lose sight of Him. What about a more modern example of admitting that we're powerless? We have a ministry here at the church called Celebrate Recovery. That's for adults, and we also have a version for students called The Landing. And it helps people overcome stumbling blocks in their lives. Most people think it's just for addictions. That's not the case. Most people come for things other than addictions. Not just addictions, but whatever it is that prevents you, ready for this, whatever prevents you from hearing God's direction in your life. Whatever stumbling block is preventing you from fulfilling the purpose that God has for your life. Relationship issues, anger, past hurts, anxiety, food issues, self-worth, whatever it is, anything. Anything that prevents us from hearing God's direction and following His purpose for our lives. And we walk through that together using eight principles based on the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 5. Eight principles. Here's the first one. And you can't do anything until you get this one right. Realize I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's Matthew 5, 3. Here's another one, Romans 7. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Until we realize we are powerless and our lives are unmanageable without God, we will never see healing in our lives and we will never see miracles in our church. God doesn't want you trapped by your past. God doesn't want you trapped by your present circumstances and He certainly doesn't want you trapped by fear of the future. And neither do we. Neither do we. That's why we have programs like Celebrate Recovery and Transformation Prayer and Connecting Points. Not because those programs heal you. They don't. But they point you to the one who does. And they point you to the one who heals in community without judgment. 
When we admit that we are powerless, that's when we begin to hear God's direction and see His victory. And that's exactly what happens when Jehoshaphat professed that Judah was powerless before God. And as all the men of Judah stood there in Jerusalem at the temple before the Lord with their wives and their children, the Spirit of God, as they prayed and they fasted together, the Spirit of God began to speak through one of the men. Skip down for time to verse 15. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours. The battle is God's. Remember when we talked about discouragement last week? We become discouraged when we forget that the battle is His and not ours. It's His battle. And some of us feel crushed under the weight of our lives because we've taken on a burden that God has declared for Himself. God doesn't want you living in that burden. He continues in verse 16. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Zeth at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. You march, I'll fight. You move forward, I'll bring victory. We need to move forward trusting in the victory of Jesus Christ and of a loving Father. We don't need our own power because when we admit that we're powerless in our lives and as a church, the Spirit will move and we will experience His power. His power and His victory are coming. Do you believe that? And one of the ways that we experience that power, one of the ways that we access that power is through worship. We seek God's direction in miracles by praising God with power-filled worship. By praising God with power-filled worship. Now, how is that different from our other fill-in a few minutes ago about proclaiming His glory? Well, they're connected, of course. They're both forms of worship, but I think here's what we want to note. Proclaiming God's glory during a trial is about declaring His power. Worshiping in a trial is about participating in it, participating in His power. Verse 18, then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same worshiping together, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clan of Kohath and Korah 
stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout or a mighty shout. Do we worship God with a mighty shout or do we mumble under our breath? Does our worship reveal His victory or does it reveal our discontent? Do we only worship on Sunday or is it part of our lives and who we are? The people of Judah are experiencing God's power in worship. And then they go to bed and they get up the next morning and they're led out into the wilderness where Jehoshaphat reminds them again to worship and believe and trust in the Lord, trust in what He says. For time, skip down to verse 21. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising Him for His holy splendor. And this is what they sang, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And those lyrics are important. Those are important words. We're going to talk more about that in a minute after our prayer time. But remember, they've not even arrived at the battlefield. Right? They're leaving to go to the battlefield. So what does that mean? That means that they are marching forward and praising God's victory before it happens. They're praising His victory before it happens, before it comes. And when they worship with that kind of faith, look what happens. Verse 22, at the very moment they began to sing, mark that in your Bible, the very moment they began to sing and praise God, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir, and they killed every one of them. And after they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of their enemy had escaped. And then God gave them the plunder from the battle that took them three days to pick up. The very moment they began to sing and give praise, God took over the battle. There is power in sincere worship. So what's the battle you're trying to fight on your own? What impossible situation needs to be sacrificed to God in worship? Not with weeping and gnashing of teeth, but surrendering it to God in victorious worship. And what kind of victories and revival will we see at Brookwood Church when we learn to pray and fast together in one voice with one purpose, and we proclaim His glory and His promises together? What will happen when we finally admit that we are powerless and then worship Him with abandon? Let's pray God will guide us to that guide us to that place. Let's pray He reveals His direction and His path for Brookwood Church, and let's do it together, and let's do it now. So just like we've done the last couple weeks, when I give you the signal, not yet, as some of you are excited, when I give you the signal, you're going to stand up, turn to the people around you, make groups, whatever size of group you want. 
you see someone without a group, invite them in. No one stands alone. Then you pray in your groups however you want, in what order you want, in whatever language you want, in every language. And here's our prayer pumps. We're going to put them up on the screen. First, we want to worship and proclaim His glory, that He is mighty and His faithful love endures forever. And then we want to pray that He reveals His direction and plan for Brookwood Church, that He guides us to pray and fast and worship together. And then He guides us into sincere worship. So, and then we're going to close a little bit differently today, so don't leave. We're going to close a little bit differently at the end. But are we ready to pray together? Then let's stand up, get in our groups, and let's, let's pray. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast, Fasting is our spiritual practice this week. As we learn today, fasting gives us the opportunity to remove obstacles and brings us into a closer relationship with God. To learn more about how to incorporate fasting into your life, visit our website, brookwoodchurch.org slash fasting. Coming up in our next episode, the conclusion of the series, Praying Together Through. We'll learn about Jesus' prayer in the garden and overcoming distress. To prepare, read Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives. Visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And to get connected at Brookwood, email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Thanks for listening and have a great week.